0: At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, it is our privilege to partner with local churches both in the United States and around the world in training men for the gospel ministry. If your church supports CBTS with $200 a month and a commitment to pray for us, any student in your church can attend CBTS tuition free. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, visit cbtseminary.org. This is the voice of the narrated Puritan, one of the ministries of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary's podcast called The Man of God Network. Today I wanted to do a basic introduction to an excellent commentary on Proverbs that most pastors probably aren't taking advantage of. It was written in the year 1821 by George Lawson of Scotland, and in my opinion, the exhortations are far more pungent even than that of Charles Bridges. But now you can listen and decide for yourself. Chapter 1, verse 16, For their feet run to evil, and make haste to shed blood. Let us never forget the evil that is in sin. However men may dress it out in beautiful colors, it is a very quintessence of naughtiness. All men see a great deal of evil in some infernal crimes. But the God whose judgment is always true sees more evil in the least sin than we are able to do in the greatest. It is a dangerous and detestable thing for a man woefully to transgress the smallest commandment of the law of God. But the men of whom we now speak are desperately bent upon sin, their feet run to evil, and that of the most damnable sort, for they make haste to shed blood. Perhaps it will be said that they have no design to load their souls with such bloody crimes, but only to cheat or rob somebody that well deserves to be plundered. But let us remember that no man becomes desperate in wickedness all at once. Hazael had no intention to murder the king of Syria, or rip up women with child. He would abhor the thoughts of such wickedness till interest and ambition uniting gradually hardened his heart and prepared him for perpetrating without remorse deeds of darkness and of horror. Young sinners are like travelers, who at first setting out cannot bear a speck of mud to alight upon their clothes, but who in the course of their journey become inured to bad roads and can allow themselves, without feeling uneasiness, to be all bespattered with mire. They are like silly birds who allow themselves to be ensnared by the arts of the cunning fowler. Verse 17, Surely in vain is the net spread in the sight of any bird. Birds do not have the gift of reason to warn them against the snares of the fowler. But how lamentable is it that men, whom God has made wiser than the fowls of heaven, should be as easily deceived as the silliest of these animals, and that in matters of greater importance do not reply that the snares are set not for the sinner himself, but for those whom he intends to destroy. It is for his own life that the sinner spreads his nets. Verse 18 And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. It is not the sufferer so much as the doer of evil that is hurt. Whom did Judas destroy by his treachery? The death to which Jesus was sold was glorious to himself. The treason which Judas wrought was his own destruction. Abel lives and speaks, and his name is embalmed in the memories of the good. The life which his murderer led was more miserable than death, and his name is remembered only to be execrated. The sinner designs mischief to his neighbor, But all things are under the direction of the just Lord, under whose administration mischief recoils upon its author, bringing him to the scaffold here or to hell hereafter. But is such the natural tendency of covetousness? Yes. Verses 20 and 21. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets, She cries in the chief places of concourse and the opening of the gates. In the city she uttered her words, saying, How can wisdom cry? Is not wisdom a quality and not a person? Wisdom cries to men when God speaks to them, for he is the fountain of wisdom. The words of men may be wise, but when God speaks, wisdom itself addresses us. He opens his mouth in infinite wisdom and speaks to us by him who is a word and wisdom of God. He who despises that wisdom which is from above despises the Father and the Son and brands with the imputation of folly the emanations of unsearchable wisdom. Wisdom desires to be heard and therefore speaks not in secret. She whispers not in the ears of a few favorites but in the public places of resort she proclaims to everyone that will listen her interesting truths she cries without in every place where a crowd is likely to be collected in the streets in the chief place of concourse in the gates the place of judgment and in every part of the city a disobedient sinner can make a valid excuse for his conduct the voice of wisdom is heard everywhere It sounds from the pulpit. From every creature is it heard. Job 12, verses 7 and 8. The word is in our very hearts and conscience. It echoes a voice to our souls. Let us go where we will. We must hear it. Unless we willfully shut our ears. And what does she say? Verse 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Had I a mountain for a pulpit, and a voice capable of reaching to the ends of the world, said a venerable father, I would preach on that text, O oh, you sons of men, how long will you love vanity? Wisdom reclaims the like words to all the world as far as her voice is heard. If persons ruin themselves by their folly, It will be no excuse to them that they were cheated by the great deceiver, who will excuse Eve for hearkening to the voice of the serpent, or Adam for hearkening to the voice of his wife in opposition to the voice of God. The simpleton and the fool are justly condemned, because they love simplicity and hate knowledge. So strongly are they bent upon their foolish courses, that every suggestion of the devil meets with a cheerful compliance. Sin is loved with the whole heart, and those truths which might be the means of salvation are the objects of extreme aversion. Many are so mad upon their idols that they take pleasure in scoffing at holiness and at the preaching and professors of it. Some run to such a pitch in wickedness as to jest with the word of the Most High though safer for far it were to sport with fire and death. Were the physician of souls like earthly physicians, he would leave such creatures to pine away in their sins till their obstinacy terminate in eternal death. But, oh, how merciful is he? He is in earnest with them when he urges them to admit of his salutary medicines. It is a grief to him that they will not come to him for health. He cries to them, Turn you at my reproof. Verse 23. Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make known my word to you. The lovers of folly must turn or perish. For Christ is an all-sufficient Savior from sin and wrath. But he will deliver none to continue in abominations. Except you repent. You shall all perish. The lovers of sin. And those that delight in scorning are graciously called by him to turn. A plain evidence that there is pardoning and saving mercy for these worst of sinners. Isaiah 55 verse 7 Even scoffers at religion are among the number of those sinners whom the Son of God called to repentance when he came to seek and to save the lost. Such profligates have for the most part an intention to turn from their evil ways at some future but indefinite, period. But if they don't turn at present, they refuse to hear the voice of wisdom. Turn ye, says the wisdom of God, at my reproof. Today, says the Spirit, if ye he will hear my voice, harden not your hearts. We harden our hearts when we intend to take our pleasure and sin today, though we resolve to hear the voice of God tomorrow. The reproof of wisdom is a means of alarming us and of impressing our souls with the sense of the necessity of turning. If we harden our hearts against these reproofs, while they are sounding in our ears, the impression is not likely to be deeper or stronger when the bustle and noise of the world have helped us to forget the awful admonition. It is at the reproof of the word of God that we are called to turn, it is brutish for a son to despise a reproof of a parent. It is devilish for a creature to despise a reproof of its creator. It is a sin which devils could never commit, for a guilty creature to shut his ears against the reproof of a savior, who addresses us in earnest and affectionate language, and calls us to turn our feet from the paths of death. But how can fools turn? Are they not infatuated by sin? Are not their affections possessed with the love of it? Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, says the Savior. By his influences you shall be enabled to understand my words and to comply with them. Let not sinners imagine that it will excuse them to say they had no ability to repent. They were not called to turn by any power of their own, but in the strength of divine grace. They were unwilling and therefore unable. Their sins were so dear to them that they disliked the reproofs of Christ and resisted his spirit. Our Lord does not make a jest of the lovers of sin when he calls them to turn. His words do good even as sinners. For the fault is their own. John 5 verse 40. Matthew 23, verse 37. Did we then feel the necessity of turning, and yet an unconquerable aversion to it in our hearts? Let us plead for the abundant communications of the enlightening and renewing Spirit. If persons are made heartily willing to submit to his influence, it is a happy indication that he will be granted, or rather a sign that he has already begun to work. But there are many so foolishly devoted to sin that they reject the counsel of God, and instead of welcoming the good spirit, resist his motions till they provoke him to depart. The doom of such persons will be very terrible, but very just. Verses 24 to 27. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have set it not on my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish comes upon you. Do none then or next to none regard the admonitions of wisdom? Strange. Are men enemies to themselves? Are they in love with destruction? Is it their joy to please the devil and cross the benevolent intentions of a savior? Was the devil crucified for them? Or did they thank the burnings of eternity and the pain of condemnation more tolerable than the tears of repentance or the self-denial which Jesus prescribes? John's disciples complained to him that all men went after Jesus, but John complained that so few believed his report. No man receives his testimony. How wonderful is that grace which continues to deal with men when it is so ungratefully despised. The sin of unbelief and impenitence is exceeding great. Various are the forms of expression by which in the passage before us the wickedness of it is intimated. And the offense which it gives to him who comes in the name of the Lord to save us pointed out. It is a refusal of divinely gracious offers and advices, a disregard of the most earnest importunities of the wisdom of God, a sovereign contempt of all the counsel of that wonderful counselor who is given to be the leader and commander of the people, a stubborn opposition of the will to the most needful and salutary reproof. Hear, O heavens, and be horribly afraid. Rational creatures rebel against the father of spirits, Diseased sinners scorn a great physician and refuse to accept that sovereign cure for all their maladies, which he so graciously offers. Abhorring as they do the name of devils, they yet spurn at those compassions which devils can never experience. But let sinners remember that there is justice as well as grace in the Most High. Justice shall avenge a contempt of mercy sinners feel now some indications of that vengeance in their own guilty consciences fears of punishment often make them uneasy they would gladly persuade themselves that these are but the tears of a distempered fancy but the day is coming when they will find them to be terrible realities or if they want truth it is because they are nothing to that vengeance which is their object No passion is so tormenting as fear, but no fear can equal the power of God's anger. The fear of sinners shall come upon them, and their feet shall slide in due time. It shall come like a desolating judgment, which with resistless violence lays waste a country. It shall come like a raging tempest and a furious whirlwind, at once sweeping away every comfort and every hope. Then shall distress and anguish cease upon the mind of the stubborn transgressor, when he feels himself involved to remediless sorrow. The threatening will have its greatest accomplishment in the everlasting world, when the torrents of wrath shall swallow up the impenitent sinner, and a whirlwind of fury shall beat upon him with ceaseless violence. Wrath and indignation shall press him down in a lake of fire. Anguish and despair shall prey upon his soul without the intermission of a moment. No ray of hope shall ever enter into the abodes of darkness and of horror. But will the poor victim of suffering find no pity from the Savior of men? No, says the Spirit of God. I will laugh at your calamity and mock when your fear comes. With relentless eye shall he behold that terrible vengeance which now overtakes the wicked. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they should turn and live. Yet he will take pleasure in the death of them that do not turn. For in this manner is his justice glorified and the dishonors done to his love repaired. God sometimes laughs at the trial of the innocent. He took pleasure in bruising his own son. He is comforted in the ruining of the wicked. But may not prayer avail in this deplorable condition? By no means. Verse 28. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, or earnestly, but they shall not find me. The prayer of faith is ever heard. And they that seek God shall find him, when they seek him with all their heart. But the prayers of these desperate rebels are like the howlings of a dog. They are cries extorted by strong necessity and intolerable anguish. They are the cries of such as sought not the Lord whilst he may be found, nor called upon him while he was near. Sinners miserably delude their own souls by proposing to live in the indulgence of their sins and die in the exercise of repentance. True repentance is never too late, but late repentance is seldom true. Christ is not every day hanging on the cross, nor are thieves every day converted and sent from the place of punishment to the paradise above. Prayers are of no use in the eternal world. The day of grace is at an end and the wretched shall cry in vain to the rocks and mountains to fall upon them and hide them from the wrath of the Lord God and of the Lamb. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now the Lord waits to be gracious, but the day is coming that is cruel with wrath and fierce anguish. No place shall then be found for mercy, though sought with an ocean of tears. But why does he who takes pleasure in the voice of prayer and listen so graciously to the cry of the supplicant. Why does he refuse to accept the petitions of those who were reduced to such an extremity of distress? The reason is, verses 29 and 30, For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. The punishment is indeed tremendous, but the sin that causes it, is atrocious. It is no less than a contempt and hatred of the counsels of the Lord. What is this but an undeniable proof of enmity against God himself? And will not God ease himself of his adversaries and avenge himself of his enemies when men do not choose a fear of the Lord, but prefer to it the base pleasures of sin They give plain proof of their hatred to everything that is good, And how can they escape the damnation of hell? If we think that the punishment is greater than the sin, the reason is that we are under the power of iniquity. Self-love disposes a malefactor to prescribe to his judge. Let us impartially consider what malignity lies in impenitence and what a complication of wickedness is contained in the rejection of the great salvation and we must acknowledge that the ruin of sinners is entirely owing to themselves. God is not to be blamed, but on the contrary, he will be eternally glorious as their avenger. His insulted mercy will be glorious in the punishment of its despisers. justice shall sign in dispensing to the workers of iniquity the reward of their works. They despised all my reproof. Now in this commentary we are moving forward to chapter five for a few verses about this strange woman, verse three. For the lips of the strange woman drop as a an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. She talks of nothing but love and pleasure, and perpetual delights. To hear her, one would suppose that she possessed a most generous and disinterested spirit. Her tongue is taught by him who betrayed Eve to paint the vilest sin with the most beautiful colors, and to conceal all its deformity and danger, but it is a part of a reasonable creature to look beyond the present moment, and to consider the end of things as well as their beginning. There is sweetness indeed in the mouth of this strange woman. Verse 4 But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The venom and sting of a serpent is concealed under the honey of her lips. Those who repent of their uncleanness will experience far more bitterness than ever they tasted pleasure in their unlawful gratifications. But few get so well off, and a persons continue hardened. The end is more bitter than death. It is like a two-edged sword which wounds and destroys both soul and body at once. Verse 5 Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. She is on the highway to eternal ruin. And thither she is carrying those that listen to her bewitching voice. Her house is in the suburbs of the place of destruction. And her steps take hold of hell. David was in great fear when he said to his friend, If the Lord lives, there is but a step between me and death. That there is not even this small interval between the steps of the strange woman and hell. They already take hold of it. But may not persons, when they see this danger before their eyes, make a timely retreat to the path of life? No. In most cases this is not to be expected. Verse six lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. When men enter into a course of sin, they have no intention to be damned. They intend only to indulge themselves in the pleasures of sin for a time, and then their return to the paths of life. Millions of souls have been seduced to everlasting destruction by this one temptation of the old serpent. You shall not die. Although you eat, grace is free and there is abundance of time to repent. The wise man gives what may repel this temptation by letting us know how foolish it is for men to flatter themselves with the hope that they shall be truly disposed and enabled to repent of their sin. Her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. She can form her mode of behavior into a hundred different shapes to entangle the heart of the lover. She spreads a thousand snares, and if you escape one of them, you will find yourself held fast by another. She knows well how to suit her words and behavior to your present humor, to lull conscience asleep, and to spread before your eyes such a mist as shall prevent you from being able to descry the paths of life. If you ever think of the danger of your course, and feel the necessity of changing it, She will urge you to spend a little time longer in the pleasures of sin. If her solicitations prevail, if you linger within the precincts of guilt, your resolutions are weakened and your passions gain new strength, what is the awful result? The devil obtains more influence. Conscience forcibly repressed, ceases to reclaim with so loud a voice, God gives you up to the lust of your own heart and leaves you to choose your own delusions, a tenth end to the wisest of men who instructs you to keep free of these dangerous temptations. Verse 8 Remove your way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. But what need is there for so much preciseness? May not a man be permitted to talk with her? merely by way of amusement? Is it unlawful to drink a glass in her house and to satisfy our curiosity by observing what passes in it and by what art she contrives to seduce those who are less established in virtue than ourselves? Yes, it is unlawful to have the least correspondence with her. By the requirements of the ceremonial law, no man was to be in the same house with a leper, The moral law forbids us to enter into a house full of the leprosy of sin. Her house is full of snares, and her hands are as bands. The devil glances in her smiles and lurks in her dress and in her motions. He is there, ready to discharge at you as fiery darts of temptation. And to aid his efforts, you have much combustible matter about you. Dare you then promise yourself that the fire of licentious passion shall not be kindled and blown up into a flame that you cannot quench? The devil will tempt you enough without your own help. To tempt is his business. As you love your life and your own soul, give him no assistance in the work of destruction.